Chapter Thirteen of The Maid of Skur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Maid of Skur by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Thirteen The Coroner and the Coronet. An officer of high repute had lately been set over us, to hold account of the mischief, and to follow evidence, and make the best he could of it when anybody chose to die without giving proper notice. He called himself Coroner of the King, and all the doctors, such as they were, made it a point that he must come, whenever there was a dead man or woman who had died without their help. Now all about the storm of sand, and all about the shipwreck, was known in every part of the parish, before the church clock had contrived, in gratitude to Hezekiah, to strike the noon of Monday. Every child that went to the well knew the truth of everything, and every woman of Newton and Nottage had formed from the men her own opinion, and was ready to stand thereby, and defy all the other women. Nevertheless, some busy doctor, who had better been in the stocks, took it for a public duty to send notice and demand for the coroner to sit upon us. The wrath of the parish, now just beginning to find some wreck that would pay for the ropes, was so honest and so grave that the little doctor was compelled to run and leave his furniture, and so it always ought to be with people who are meddlesome. It came to my knowledge that this must happen, and that I was bound to help in it, somewhere about middle day of Tuesday, at a time when I was not quite as well as I find myself when I have no money. For, being pleased with my luck, perhaps, and not content quite to smoke in the dark, and a little dry after the glow-worms, it happened, I will not pretend to say how, that I dropped into the jolly sailors, to know what the people could be about, making such a great noise as they were, and keeping a quiet man out of his bed. There I smelled a new tobacco, directly I was in the room, and somebody, pleased with my perception, gave me several pipes of it, with a thimbleful, as I became more and more agreeable, of a sort of rum and water, and, confining myself, as my principle is, to what the public treat me to, it is not quite out of the question that I may have been too generous. And truly full I was of grief upon the following morning that somebody had made me promise, in a bubbling moment, to be there again and bring my fiddle on the Tuesday night. Now, since the death of my dear wife, who never put up with my fiddle, except when I was courting her, it had seemed to my feelings to be almost a levity to go fiddling. Also I knew what everybody would begin to say of me. But the landlord, foreseeing a large attendance after the coroner's inquest, would not for a moment hear of any breach of my fiddle pledge. Half of Newton, and perhaps all Nottage, went to Skur the following day to see the coroner and to give him the benefit of their opinions. And another piece of luck there was to tempt them in that direction, for the ship which had been wrecked and had disappeared for a certain time, in a most atrocious manner, was rolled about so by the tide 
and a shift of the wind on Monday, that a precious large piece of her stern was in sight from the shore on Tuesday morning. It lay not more than a cable's length from low water mark, and was heaved up so that we could see as far as the starboard mizzen chains. Part of the taffrail was carried away, and the carving gone entirely, but the transom and transom knees stood firm, and of the ship's name done in gold, I could make out in large letters, Talucia, and underneath in a curve, and in smaller letters, Adore. Of course, no one except myself could make head or tail of this, but after thinking a little while, I was pretty sure of the meaning of it, namely, that the craft was Portuguese, called the Santa Lucia, and trading from San Salvador, the capital of Brazil's. And in this opinion, I was confirmed by observing through my spyglass copper bolt-heads of a pattern such as I had seen at Lisbon, but never in any British ship. However, I resolved for the present to keep my opinion to myself, unless it were demanded upon good authority. For it made me feel confused in mind, and perhaps a little uneasy, when, being struck by some resemblance, I pulled from the lining of my hat a leaf of a book, upon which I copied all that could be made out of the letters, each side of the tiller of my new boat. And now I found them to be these. You see, from the starboard side, just where they would have stood in Lucia, and door from the farther end of the line, just as in San Salvador. The sands were all alive with people, and the rocks and every place where anything good might have drifted, for Evan Thomas could scarcely come at a time of such affliction to assert his claims of wreck and to belabour right and left. Therefore, for a mile or more, from where the land begins to dip, and the old stone wall, like a jagged cord, divides our parish from Kenvig, hundreds of figures might be seen, running along the grey wet sands, and reflected by their brightness. The day was going for two of the clock, and the tide growing near to the turn of ebb, and the land springs oozing down from the beach, spread the whole of the flat sand so, with a silver overlaying, that without keen sight it was hard to tell where the shore ended and sea began, and a great part of this space was sprinkled with naked feet going pattering, boys and girls, and young women and men, who had left their shoes up high on the rocks to have better chance in the racing. Now it is not for me to say that all or half of these good people were so brisk because they expected any fine thing for themselves. I would not even describe them as waiting in readiness for the force of fortune by the sea administered. I believe that all were most desirous of doing good, if possible. In the first case, to the poor people drowned, but if too late, then to console any disconsolate relations, failing of which it would be hard if anybody should blame them for picking up something for themselves. What? You here, Mother Probin? I cried, coming upon a most pious old woman who led the groaning at Zoar Chapel and being for the moment struck out of all my manners by sight of her. Indeed, and so I am, old Davy, she answered without abashment and almost too busy to notice me. The Lord may bless my poor endeavours to rescue them poor injuns, 
but I can't get on without a rake if I had only the sense to bring my garden rake. There are so many little things, scarcely as big as cockle shells, and the waves do drag them away from me. Oh, there! And there goes another. Gwenny, if I don't smack you! All these people, and all their doings, I left with a sort of contempt, perhaps such as breaks out on me now and then, at any very great littleness and I knew that nothing worth wet of the knees could be found with the ebb-tide running, and ere the hold of the ship broke up. So I went toward the great house, whose sorrows and whose desolation they took little heed of, and nothing made me feel more sad, strange as it may seem, and was, than to think of poor black Evan, thus unable to stand up and fight for his unrighteous rights. In the great hall were six bodies, Five of strong young men laid quiet, each in his several coffin, and the other of a little child, in a simple dress of white, stretched upon a piece of board. Death I have seen in all his manners since I was a cabin boy, and I took my hat off to the bodies, as I had seen them do abroad. But when I saw the small, dead child, a thrill and pang of cold went through me, I made sure of nothing else, except that it was dear Bardi, that little darling whom I loved, for her gifts direct from God, and her ways, so out of the way to all other children. It struck my heart with the power of death, that here this lively soul was dead. When a man makes a fool of himself, anybody may laugh at him, and this does him good, perhaps, and hardens him against more trouble. But bad as I am, and sharp as I am, in other people's opinion, and proud sometimes to think of it, I could not help a good gulp of a tear over what I believed to be the body of poor little Bardie. For that child had such nice ways, and took such upper hand of me, that expecting to find a captain always, especially among women, "'Old oh, Davy, I answer! Old oh, Davy, Ennies are coming!' By the Union Jack! It was as good as a dozen kegs of rum to me. There was no mistaking the sweetest and clearest voice ever heard outside of a flute, and presently began pit-pat of the prettiest feet ever put in a shoe down the great oak staircase. She held on by the rails, and showed no fear at all about it, though the least slip might have killed her. Then she saw the sad black sight after she turned the corner, and wondered at the meaning of it, and her little heart stood still. As she turned to me in awe, and held out both hands quivering, I caught her up, and spread my grey beard over her young frightened eyes, and took her out of sight of all those cold and very dreadful things. I had never been up the stairs before in that dark and ancient house, and the length and the width and the dreariness and the creaking noises frightened me, not so much for my own sake, being never required to sleep there, but for the tender little creature, full already of timid fancies, who must spend the dark nights there. And now the house, left empty of its noise and strength and boastfulness, had only five more ghosts to wander silent through the silent places. 
and this they began the very night after their bodies were in the churchyard. The coroner came on an old white pony, nearly four hours after the time for which his clerk had ordered us. Being used, for my part, to royal discipline, and everything done to the minute fixed, with a captain's voice like the crack of a gun, I was vexed and surprised, but expected him to give us some reason, good or bad. Instead of that, he roared out to us, with his feet still in both stirrups, "'Is there none of you taffies with manners enough to come and hold a gentleman's horse? "'Here you, Davy Jones, you are long enough and lazy enough. "'Put your hand to the bridle, will you?' "'This was to me, who was standing by, in the very height of innocence, "'having never yet seen any man appointed to sit upon dead bodies, "'and desiring to know how he could help them. "'I did for his honour all I could, although his manner of speech— was not in any way to my liking. But my rule has always been that of the Royal Navy, than which there is no wiser. If my equal insults me, I knock him down. If my officer does it, I knock under. Meanwhile, our people were muttering, Sassenach, Sassenach, and from their faces it was plain that they did not like an Englishman to sit upon Kimrick bodies. However, it was the old, old thing. The Welsh must do all the real work, and the English be paid for sitting upon them after they are dead. I never sat on a black man yet, and I won't sit on a black man now, the coroner said, when he was sure about oats enough for his pony. I'll not disgrace His Majesty's writ by sitting upon damned niggers. Glory be to God, Your Honour! Stradling Williams cried, who had come as head of the jury. Clerk he was of Newton Church, and could get no fees unless upon a Christian burial. We thought your honour would hardly put so great a disgrace upon us, but we knew not how the law lay. The law requires no Christian man, pronounced the coroner, that all might hear, to touch pitch and defile himself, both in body and soul, Master Clerk to lower and defile himself. Hereupon, a high, hard screech, which is all we have in Wales for the brave hurrah of Englishmen, showed that all the jury were of one accord with the coroner, and I was told by somebody that all had shaken hands and sworn to strike work, rather than put up with misery of conscience. But, Your Honour, said Mr. Lewis, bailiff to Colonel Locker, if we hold no quest on the black men, how shall we certify anything about this terrible shipwreck? The wreck is no concern of mine, answered the crowner, crustily. It is not my place to sit upon planks, but upon Christian bodies. Do you attend to your own business, and leave mine to me, sir? The bailiff, being a nice quiet man, thought it best to say no more. But some of the people who were thronging from every direction to see his honour, told him about the little white baby found among the bladderweed. He listened to this, and then he said, "'Show me this little white infant discovered among the black men. My business here is not with infants, but with five young smothered men. However, if there be an infant of another accident, and of Christian colour, I will take it as a separate case, and damn the county in the fees.' We assured his lordship, 
as every one now began to call him, in virtue of his swearing so, which no doubt was right in a man empowered to make other people swear, we did our best at any rate to convince the crowner that over and above all black men there verily was a little child, and for all one could tell, a Christian child, entitled to the churchyard, and good enough for him to sit on. And so he entered the house to see it. But if he had sworn a little before, and more than I durst set down for him, he certainly swore a great deal now, and poured upon us a bitter heat of English indignation. All the jury were taken aback, and I as a witness felt most uneasy, until we came to understand that his honour's wrath was justly kindled on account of some marks on the baby's clothes. "'A coronet!' he cried, stamping about. "'A coronet on my young lord's pinafore! And you stupid oafs never told me!' Nobody knew except myself, who had sailed with an earl for a captain, what the meaning of this thing was, and when the clerk of the church was asked, rather than own his ignorance, he said it was part of the arms of the crown, and the crowner was bound like a seal by it. This explanation satisfied all the people of the parish, except a few far-going Baptists, with whom it was a point of faith always to cavil and sneer at every wind of doctrine, as they always called it, the scent of which could be traced anyhow to either the parson or the clerk, or even the grave-digger. But I was content to look on and say nothing, having fish to sell, at least twice a week, and finding all customers orthodox, until they utter bad shillings. End of chapter 13